You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I want the fucking freaks, the weirdos, because those are the game changers, you know what I mean? In any genre, you know, like, I think who who could have, like, bet on Billie Eilish taking off, you know what I mean? But, like, look at that, you know? It's the most fucking successful thing on the planet right now, you know, which is cool. Give attention to the weirdos and the people that are changing things and pushing the envelope rather than the people that are doing the same things. Because because otherwise, I'm going to go off on a fucking rant here. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Hope you had a killer weekend. I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal are Montreal's premier metal promoter, and I'm very stoked to have teamed up with them to bring you Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops Brutal Montreal 2022. This year's event features Deicide performing their classic album Legion in its entirety, alongside Cataclysm, who will be performing their classic album Serenity and Fire in its entirety, as well as with Inhuman Condition. And I am very stoked to announce that we have added the powerhouse undeath to brutal montreal 2022 i can't be more stoked about this you should pick up your tickets via the link in the description of this podcast i'm gonna be there come hang out at brutal montreal which is happening on september 2nd at corona theater in my hometown of montreal it's gonna be a blast don't wait tickets are flying you're gonna regret not picking up your tickets because you're gonna miss out and you're not gonna be there to hang out with me trust me it's gonna be awesome i'm beyond stoked to have heavy montreal behind the vox and hops metal podcast now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to rate it and write a review. Now, why do I want you to do that? Well, you have to imagine that when someone is looking for a new podcast to listen to, what do they do? They scroll down. They look at those reviews. If those reviews are favorable and they say that my podcast is amazing, that I have the best guests, that I'm a great, insightful host, that I ask great questions, well, they might just give that podcast a chance. So by you rating the podcast, or even better, by writing a review, you might actually be the person that helps sway someone's decision to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, and that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now today on the podcast, I'm with John Carbone of Moontooth. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 355. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm joined by John Carbone of Moontooth. John, I've been a fan for a long time since uh, I don't know how it happened. I was probably scouring some internet metal page, and they were like, you have to listen to this band. It was 2016. It's when uh, Chroma Paragon came out. And I remember putting on the CD. It was a Friday because it was a release day, and that was the day I used to go do my groceries in the morning. And I pop this CD into my ears, and I leave the house, and I'm hearing the music, and then your voice came in, and I was like, what the fuck is this? What is going on here? This is not what I was expecting, and it was a good thing. So uh, how are you doing? Let's start with a simple one. Uh, I'm doing good. Um, I uh, just uh, got... we. Well, we're not quite done with tour. I get we're almost done with tour. We got back from the road. Uh, we left, played Baltimore the day before yesterday. Uh, played the gig, drove home, got back to Long Island at like four in the morning. Um, so yeah, today I've just been kind of like slowly figuring out, putting my life back together, 
piece by piece. And then, but we still have Brooklyn and Long Island to, to and uh, Long Island are kind of like hometown haunt at Amityville Music Hall. And then the tour is officially done. Yes. Well, good for you. And it is a extremely strange thing to do to go from tour mode back home for a few days and then back out there. It's like you're almost in this weird limbo state between the two worlds and touring and home life are extremely different, but we are the same human at the same time. So it's a strange thing to get adapted to. It's, it's so surreal. Like it's always weird coming home, you know, as, as I'm sure you know, but like, especially like after, you know, we, we, throughout the two years of the pandemic, we played six shows, you know what I mean? And we're a road band. So to, to finally get out there again, it just felt like, okay, yeah, this is real life again. This is, oh yeah, this is who I am. Yeah, sure. So when we got back to the studio at like four in the morning the other night or morning, you know, I remember like I was staying there, the other guys were, were heading home and, uh, and I was just kind of sitting there like, with a thousand yard stare, just kind of like, what the fuck is life right now? <laughs> it's the weirdest thing in the world. Like and I'm glad we have more the shows, but um, yeah, it's surreal, man. It's good for you guys. I've been a fan since 2016. Not surprised with all the success. Uh, you guys got something special. I will ask you the shittiest question, the question that we all ask, that we have to ask. Uh, how did you cope with the glorious years, plural, that we just spoke of, where you only got to speak of six, uh, where you only got to play six shows? How did you cope with the glorious years of 2020, 2021, and hopefully not the rest of 2022? How did you uh, spend your time uh, during this madness time that we, we will probably never forget, John? <laughs> drinking yeah, he's, he's he's showing off his beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean um you know it's like it, it could have been worse um there's a couple things about like the pandemic that like one it, if we had just released the album and we're about to tour and then it hit it would have been so much more devastating so we were kind of geared, we were wrapping up an album cycle for Crux. We were about to start recording. So it could have hit at a worse time. Um, and, you know, we found ways to keep busy like every other band. We did, you know, the live stream stuff. We did some, you know, acoustic stuff and, you know, crap like that. And and writing and recording was, was great. It, you know, it was a good time to do that. But, you know, it, it was tough. Like, um, I mean, it, again, it pales in comparison to how difficult it was for anybody else in the world especially anyone in the medical field or you know but um you know it's like this is uh this is what we love doing the most and 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 me personally i'll speak for myself it's like i don't i don't feel like myself when i'm at home you know what i mean i, I feel like myself when i'm out there doing the damn thing you know so it, it was rough and you know my family went through a couple of different tragedies we lost a couple of people and like many people did and uh so, yeah, it was brutal. But at the same time, you know, not talking about the family deaths, but just like the being stuck at home. There's one thing that Moontooth has gotten very accustomed to is just dealing with blows and setbacks. So part of it was almost just like, oh, yeah, OK, global pandemic, just as we're, you know, kind of picking up steam. Of course, of course that happened, you know. So, you know, it was it was tough. But, you know, we, we learned to like, you know, suck it up and take it in stride, you know, over the years. So. But yeah, a lot of drinking. <laughs> On that note, Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music and craft, beer. What beer are you sipping on tonight that we're going to be sharing virtually? So right now I have a uh, Brooklyn Summer Ale. Um, I was thinking about getting some IPAs, but we do have uh, 
Brooklyn, we're playing Brooklyn tomorrow. And I'm like, all right, if I, you know, if I have a bunch of IPAs, like I feel like the hangover is a little different than just regular ales. I'm not a connoisseur. I don't really know a lot, but I know hangovers. So, um, so I'm like, let me, let me take it a little bit easy. And, you know, I like Brooklyn brewery and, uh, uh, summer almost. So the seasons are switching, you know, people say what they want about global warming, but I feel like the seasons are in different positions than what the calendar wants to tell us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all, it's just as mixed up as I, <laughs> but what are you drinking on my side? I got a, a special beer. Uh, it's uh, by a brewery that I like uh, here in Quebec. I'm from Quebec, Canada. Uh, this is by Saint Cambado. They dropped this for their second anniversary. Um, this is a funky beer for a funky band. Uh, they took their classic pilsner, the Two Tail Pills, and they dropped it into a French oak barrels for a period of time. And I feel that uh, Moontooth deserves a funky beer. Because you guys are an out-of-the-box, different kind of metal band, and I like that. I'm going to crack this, and I would love to hear about the very first beer that you drank. Do you remember the very first beer you had, John? I do. Well, first of all, cheers. Clink. Uh, so the very first beer I drank was uh, at my neighbor's house growing up. He was a year older than me. Uh, I must have been in, like eighth grade at the time something like that he had a bunch of his friends over and you know i went i went over there and, and they were all playing beer pong and uh and i never drank and he's like just just you know play i'll drink for you and then finally he's like just sit, take a sip what do you what do you think and it was probably like Coors light or something like that you know but uh i almost puked i remember i was like this is fucking disgusting like <laughs> why would anyone drink this stuff you know but i did get a little buzz because afterwards i was just like whoa <laughs> I think I want to do this forever. You know? um, but then after that, when I started drinking, it was it was Mike's Hard Lemonade, the mm -hmm. usual kind mm -hmm. of. Cheers to you. There, there was a mad head that poured out on this. Ooh, it's cool. The oak is subtle. That classic cereal um, honey bite of the the pilsner just killer, killer. Second bottle, love them to death. Can't love them enough. Um, you never got into. You mentioned you're not a craft beer enthusiast but you are drinking somewhat of a crafty beer there at what point did you step away from the beer pong uh, maybe coarse light beers into something with more of a flavor profile uh that happened uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I did see pictures of you drinking something on stage that wasn't a craft beer in your defense no that's with if we get you know like on our riders and stuff you know we'll you know we'll say pbr you know just because you know especially if we're like the first or three or first or four you know we kind of get whatever's left over it's usually peer uh pbr cores you know which you know we're I, I honestly like we as a band and myself personally like i feel like you have to be a scavenger you know what i mean like <laughs> on the road you just get whatever you can you know like if if you're gonna get into this and try like being a band and coming up in it and you're gonna be like picky about the things that you are not getting like just quit right off the bat because like so, so that's what I mean when I say it. I'm definitely not a connoisseur, but I can appreciate uh, a really good beer, really good anything, really good meal. But I'm also like, I'll take the cores, I'll take the gas station hot dogs. <laughs> it's about keeping the engine going, you know what I mean? So, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I, I, I definitely like if I'm if I'm going to like a party or if I'm you know like having some friends over, I'll get some nice beer. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll just like, I'll have some PBRs in the fridge just for like, you know, throughout the week, if I have a beer or something, and you know, 
Um, but yeah, also a big whiskey guy too. But it's tough because you can't drink that like you can a beer. You know, I know. if you absentmindedly sit, you don't even get wasted <laughs> on Wednesday night, you know, which is fun sometimes. But Thursdays are less fun when you do that on Wednesdays, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth when you're growing up in your parents or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Uh, well, my folks were um, like they they liked music, but they were um, not as much music people. I'm kind of a bit of a black sheep in my family in terms of being a musician. I have uh, my older cousin, Jonathan. He was in a band called Harold's Trousers. And, um, but he's the only one in my entire family that toured or did anything like that. Um, so my folks were kind of just like your normal kind of casual listeners. So, you know, they, you know, my my dad's a baby boomer. My mom's a little bit younger than him. So they were listening to the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the Doors and, you know, stuff like that. Dad I grew up listening to Billy Joel. Uh, so and I'm from Long Island, New York. So it's kind of like I know it's it's fun to hate on him. I'm not talking about him, the person. I don't really know a lot about him, the person, his personal choices or anything. But like his music, like I, I love it. So it's the sound of me growing up, really. Um, but when I started to get into music of my own, uh, first it was like, um, actually, I'll, I'll digress a little bit just because I was just having this conversation with our drummer, Ray. I uh, The first album I ever listened to all the way through was on like a, a family road trip you know, with a Walkman and uh, it was Nevermind by Nirvana. Really? And I just remember feeling, yeah, like, like really, like by the end of it, I finished, I was like, whoa. And I, you know, I must've been in like fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. But um, that and like, Dookie, um, no doubt, Tragic Kingdom, that was the early stuff. And then as the years went by, I, you know, I was like perfect age when new metal hit. I was like 10, 11 years old. So my first concert was Corn yes. at Madison Square Garden, <laughs> and uh, huge. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Corn, Limp Biscuit, all that stuff. Papa Roach, um, and then into going into high school, I started getting into classic rock hmm. and uh, some metal stuff. Um, when 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 I found Tool, that kind of changed everything for me. Tool in a Perfect Circle. Um, it just kind of made me pay attention to musicianship a little bit more. Nothing against new metal but you know <laughs> a lot of times it was more about the attitude and the vibe <laughs> yeah when i heard lateralis i was like holy shit mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i was you know i was really into the drums so listening to danny carey do that stuff like blew my mind um that was the kind of trajectory of things very interesting uh that Nevermind cassette i'm assuming was on a Walkman. Uh, was it your family's or was it something that you scrounged up from a friend? I don't remember. I must have been my sister's. I, my sister's four years older than me. And I kind of, she kind of showed me where the cool table was. And like, so, and my neighbors, again, who I mentioned, uh, his older sisters were my sister's age. So they were like listening to Green Day and, and Nirvana and stuff like that. So that was like handy down stuff. So it must have, it must have been from them. I don't even know where. I would have got the actual, you know, copy of it, but things that children nowadays do not understand. No, <laughs> as, as, as I sound like an old man, but <laughs> every time I bring up this subject and I edit it later, I'm like, man, Matt, you sound like such an old grumpy man. We kind of are grumpy old men. It's like you can't not sound like it, but you know, whatever it is what it is. 
These kids don't know. We had to wait and be patient and overdub, you know, speed dub these tapes. I remember I got the, the first Dookie was the first cassette that I got. And it was my friend's dad that he was a DJ. So he printed out like a little green. It was on a green piece of paper. I remember everything about it and getting this and just thinking this is the best thing. The best thing ever. At I was probably in grade four or five or something. It was it's too much fun. Uh, when did you discover your voice? At one point you mentioned that you're we're interested in the drums of lateralis at what point did the focal point become becoming a vocalist or was it always there well it's interesting it was and it wasn't um so when i before i got into new metal in elementary school like there was there was the green day nirvana no doubt stuff that was getting you know a little bit of smashing pumpkins hand me down from you know my sister and the neighbors um but in elementary school everybody was listening Boys and girls, everybody was listening to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. So so I would, I would listen to NSYNC a lot. Uh, and then I remember getting into sixth grade and like my elementary school, like uh, middle school around here uh, mixed up the elementary school. So I was suddenly with a bunch of kids that I'd never met before, as opposed to the ones I grew up with. And I remember saying to one of them, like, oh, did you hear that new NSYNC song? And he's like, no. And I was like, oh, I'm not supposed to like this anymore. Which is so fucking dumb. It's like the early stages of gatekeeping. Um, and that's when I kind of got into new metal and stuff. But it's funny because in hindsight, like all that boy band stuff, it was just watered down R&B music, which years later, I kind of stopped at a certain point with the history lesson. But like years later, I got really into R&B and the blues. And like, of course, I would like that stuff. So when I was in elementary school, I would sing along to that all the time. And I would think like, wow, I got a pretty good voice and this and that. And who knows what I sounded like. But uh, um, fast forward to the new metal years in like ninth or 10th grade, something like that. Uh, I'm in a band with uh, my best friends and uh, I'm singing in a bit. One day I was with my friend Brian and we were uh, singing along to The Used, who I was obsessed with at the time. And, uh, and he's like, oh, he's like, dude, you can scream. And I'm like, oh, can I? And so I started singing in that band. It was like emo, new metal kind of stuff. Um, I couldn't sing in key, but I could I could actually scream really well. I've, my friend has showed me like videos from back then. I'm like, holy shit, I can't do that now. You know? <laughs> um, played, played one show and the stage fright was so bad that as mm. soon as we finished, I went up to my guitar player and I was like, I, I quit. I can't do really? this. It's too much. Uh huh. But how'd you get through the show? You just like were you just deer in the headlights? In my in my head, it was the most awkward thing ever. The microphone cable was cutting out too. I'm convinced oh. that my awkwardness broke the technology, <laughs> and like it was just so bad. I just suffered through it, and um, and uh, so I I quit that band, and the same group of guys uh, carried on writing songs. And changing musically a little bit. And then the, our buddy Brian, who was playing drums, got too busy with another band. So the other guy said, John, Brian's too busy. Learn how to play the drums. So I said, okay. And then uh, I just my buddy had a kit, and I just started playing. And just put the headphones on and started playing to the bands I liked. And uh, and then that's what started uh, me playing drums. Wrote songs with them. Eventually wrote songs on my own. Started fucking around with guitar a little bit. And uh, and then and, uh, the first, like, gigging and touring properly that i did was uh was on, as a drummer really which explains the lateralis drum thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then maynard's sweet crooner 
<laughs> his mesmerizing voice. Yeah. I mean, they, they really taught me how to like to look a little bit deeper into the musicianship and the craft of it. You know, Danny Carey is my favorite drummer of all time because he like he paints portraits. He uses the kit as an instrument, not just a timekeeper, but also a timekeeper, you know. Um, but uh, oh, but you asked about this. So basically, I met Nick Lee uh, uh, because the band uh, I was playing in at the time called Rice Cultivation Society is me and my buddy Derek Smith is Derek's band. Um, we played the bitter end in New York city as a two piece. And it was like indie mathy kind of stuff. Um, and he's like, Oh, we're playing with this band exemption. You're going to love them. They're going to be your new favorite band. And it was Nick and Ray on, uh, their friend, Tom Moran on bass and vocals. And I was blown away. It's not, it's not, you know what I mean? You can see where Moontooth came from if you listen to exemption. Um, so I had to watch that and then play on Ray's kit which was just like, oh, Jesus Christ, I should just quit right now. But um, at the end of that gig, uh, I talked to Nick, and he he was just like, yeah, I think I'm going to join Rice. So he joined that band. We toured together for a little bit. I fell in love with Exemption. Tom Moran, their singer-bass player, uh, left to do kind of more songwriter stuff. He's an absolute brilliant songwriter, still making stuff, just putting an album out, actually. But um as soon as Tom left, I kind of, you know, waited a little bit. And then I, I wrote Nick this letter just saying like, like a handwritten letter. No, 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 no Facebook message. Okay. You know, but. <laughs> Cause I, I've, I've read that in other interviews that you did as well. And I was going to ask if you actually wrote a handwritten letter. Cause that would have been amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, I said, I said, keep that up just for the mystique. I, but, I, um, it, fits. Don't, it fits. Don't tell me. That. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sharing this podcast. It's just you and me tonight. <laughs> Cool, cool. That was very lonely, and I was hoping we could just hang. No, Anytime you want, John. But um, so yeah, I just wrote Nick this Facebook message, uh, just saying like you know how much I loved what him and Ray were doing, and they were obviously going to keep going. And I said, look, you know, I know you know me as a drummer, but like, you know, I write some songs of my own. I know that I'm the guy for the job, and uh, you know what I mean. Like, just basically saying like this is these are my influences. This is the kind of thing I do, and I had. Uh, I had an EP out at the time and uh, it was just like a, I just recorded at like drums, guitar, bass and vocals myself. And um, I was gigging with two friends helping me out, um, but I was singing and playing drums at that. And so they came out to one show just to like see me singing and kind of a tryout. But, um, but yeah, that's how I kind of joined Me Tooth. And then my voice changed over the years just from writing with them and playing to the kind of monster risk that they were bringing to the table, you know? Mm. I feel like you had to. It's, it's, they're really out there. I, 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 that first time, I remember walking out of the condo, going towards the grocery store and hearing, and I was expecting to hear, like, a Greg-type Dillinger Escape Plan vocalist wannabe, and it was completely different. It was so refreshing. So, because it could have been that it wouldn't have been special at all. Whereas you guys have really carved out your own sound. Yeah, thank you, thank you. That's um, true, though. Yeah, yeah I mean, we love we love Dillinger. I, I get we get compared to them, and I get compared to Greg sometimes, which I don't really get. I don't see the similarities. You know, I, I was a latecomer to them. I didn't I didn't really know about them until uh, um, one of us is the killer. Um, but yeah, they're, they're fantastic though. I think just like ethos and just being real motherfuckers, you know, we look up to them in that sense and try to, you know, do the same. 
you're almost as crazy on stage, but uh, <laughs> going, leaving the drum set, doing the solo stuff, how did you get over that stage fright that made you quit your first band? I can tell you the exact moment. Um, when I started playing drums with Derek in Rice Cultivation Society, he basically heard a couple songs that I had put on, I might have even been MySpace at the time. No, it was probably Facebook, but whatever. Um, and he's just like, oh shit, I didn't know you wrote songs. And then that's how we started jamming together. And the first show that we had uh, was at a bar on Long Island. And um, we were three-piece at the time. And I remember just being so fucking nervous. And, uh, you know, it was the first gig I had played, probably since that other one, you know, that I quit. And first gig as a drummer. And the second we started playing, it just like, it just switched. I was like, Oh, this is, this is who I am forever now. And I, I not only was I not afraid of the crowd or performing, but I wasn't afraid of fucking anything. Like if like King Kong walked in and challenged me to a fight, I would have knocked his ass out. Like <laughs> my hands busted open. I was bleeding all over the kit and my pants. And I just like, just this rinky dink little dive bar on Long Island, just with our friends, you know, playing this, you know, busted show. But I was just like, Holy fuck, this is what, freedom is and this is this is home so it was from that moment i've never i've never been afraid of it again and, and quite the contrary it's it feels liberating and it you know it's a part of your soul it's a part of your essence now you just dropped photo trough uh, may 13th pure noise records uh let's dig into this i'm currently writing a new cryptopsy album and i just hashed out my concept uh, I know that the concept about this um, crux was all about crossroads, about you guys going through changes in your life and what was going to be going on. And that reflected into that record. This time it's more positive. It's about choosing the light. It's about growing. Uh, talk to me about uh, the importance of this concept and the importance of having a concept when it comes to you writing lyrics. Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I rarely ever set out to have a concept, um, but I just kind of end up thinking about the albums in terms of books. You know, there's something in my head that says like, all right, what is the story I'm trying to tell my own life and, you know, of this in a way where I can say what I need to say for myself, but also keep it vague enough that people can use the lyrics for, you know, whatever they need it to be. Um, and uh, yeah, Crux just ended up, you know, being like, it, it, tell, it tells you what it needs to be, I feel like, when you're writing or when we're, when we're writing. You start to see, gather the songs as you're writing. You start to see, like, all right, what are the themes that are here? And you're like, oh, well, that's what the story is. And and then you kind of shape the rest of it around that. And, uh, yeah, if Crux was about being stuck in this crossroads, kind of in this middle point, being stuck, then this next one, like, fucking had to be about getting out you know what i mean it can't we cannot have stagnation or anything like that so but also but like musically and like thematically but also just personally for myself like you know what i mean like i had you know what i mean i spent so goddamn long just being fucking miserable and like you know feeling sorry for myself and just dealing with like heartbreak and you know that uh you know i just um this one had to be in uh, about the act of choosing walk in a positive direction not having gone through and like well everything's great now it's more so about the act of like all right i'm not stuck but i'm moving in what has to be the right direction doesn't mean i'm out of it 
doesn't mean I'm, I'm there yet. doesn't mean everything's great. It's about like choosing to heal and whatnot. It's important to, to do that. It's almost like you use your lyrics as a therapeutic uh, outlet for yourself. And then also with the vision of people that are going to be listening to it. Cause I've also read a bunch of comments about fans just diving through your lyrics and using them for themselves as a therapeutic outlet. So, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Not almost a hundred percent. Exactly. I write this stuff cause like I have to, it's the only thing that like makes me feel better. It gets me through it or makes me sane at least a little bit. And uh, you know, if somebody could, you know, take something from that and apply it to their own lives. And that's, that's the second goal. You know, at first I have to do it for myself just to fucking heal and, uh, and then share it with the world in the hopes that it helps other people do that. Same, same shit that fucking Nevermind and all those records and lateralis did for me, you know, mm. that full circle, you worked in a nature reserve it was sort of a museum is uh, sort of a, a museum cutting down stuff with chainsaws, but you also did a lot of writing there. Uh, talk to me about writing in nature. Is that something that's important to you? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it, uh, it just helps to kind of be in a place where you're like, one, it's, it's beautiful. You just, I don't know. It's just healthy for people in general. I think I won't say everybody, but it, how could it not be? You know, it's fucking nature, you know, but, uh, so being in a beautiful environment and, a and a not silent, but like um, uninhabited environment by people anyway, you know, I find that to be a lot easier to, to write in a place like that. I'm not a city guy. I can have fun and appreciate a city, but I'm, I'm like a camper. And uh, so writing a spot like that is, it helps me kind of get lost. Almost like if the empty woods or woods empty of people feels like an extension of my own brain. And it feels like I can walk around in my own brain and there's nooks and crannies and old growth and new growth. So it's, yeah, it's just helpful to do that. Yeah. So while I was working there, a lot of times I would just have, you know, the demos in my headphones as I was, you know, physically working and just in my head, you know, coming up with things and humming along and just kind of remembering the lyrics and melodies and all my, you know, do some demoing and whatnot. It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Uh, you mentioned uh, you're meant to be on tour earlier, but yet, being in nature is such a big part of you as well. I know from experience that that's difficult on tour to, to find that nature. And I seek it out frequently when I'm on tour. A lot of people just stay backstage. I'll just like open my Google maps and walk towards the green spot just to get away and to get reconnected with nature. I do it all the time. So, so how, how do you handle that? You, you, you need to be on tour, but you also need that, freedom quiet outdoorsness honestly i uh i'm okay on tour i don't need as much honestly we um it, it, because i just kind of i feel good like it was funny because once we got on the road after a day i was like wow because we've been kind of home for two years i can honestly say i'm happier than i've been in years which is kind of sad but you know um I just felt good. And it's not because it's easy. It's certainly not. It's fucking insane. Like anybody <laughs> listening who hasn't ever toured, like there's no way to explain it. It's the best thing in the world. And it's the worst thing in the world. It's just grueling and just drains you in every sense of the word. But uh, what it gives you it, is it gives you more reserves of joy and strength than, you know, you'll find anywhere else if you love doing this stuff. So yeah, I don't, it doesn't even really bug me. I, 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 I get, <clears throat> 
I get that fulfillment off of playing the shows, off of seeing these new places, go, going on the adventure, you know what I mean? And I kind of don't even think about that. We had one show in, God, I can't remember how to pronounce it or even how to spell it. Ponte Verde? Ponte Verde? Verde? I don't know how it's, somewhere in Florida. I can't but, uh, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> we, had a, uh, we had a day off and um, we went to the beach and we just stayed in the water for like a couple hours and just drinking some gin and juice and like, I, if it was just so fucking glorious and moments like that hit you like a ton of bricks on tour and you're like, Oh my God, this is so nice. And like, forget how much love this stuff, you know what I mean? And like, and it's so refreshing. Um, it's a rare opportunity on, on tour when you get a day off in time to do shit like that. But, uh, when you do it, it's just that much more special. And at home, it's usually just, you know, it's more so just like, well, this is, this is nice. But, you know, if I'm doing anything other than I've, I've said in interviews before, like my family and my friends who, who I count as the same thing, seeing them is, is, is so crucial to me and spending time with them is, is really so important to me, you know, and then getting outside, you know, and, and somewhere beautiful, that's important too. But like, it doesn't matter I'm there for too long. It's like, this isn't home as, as wonderful as it is. This isn't home as much as I love my family. Like they all have their own families and their own kids and their own wives and, you know, and uh, being at home, being in the woods and everything is great, but it's almost like like a compensation for not being on tour, like a, getting me through not being on tour more than anything. You know? That's interesting. That's interesting. It's, it, you're, you're a road dog at heart, and I like that. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but I'm, I mean, I don't, it's not sad for me, but, you know, we'll see what happens. With the trajectory that Moontooth has, you're going to be on tour a lot, so, so it's a good thing. Uh, clean vocals and metal. Uh, you guys are basically an extreme metal band with limited screaming. You started off as someone that could really scream really well, you said, and then you can't believe that you used to scream like that, having watched videos of what you used to do. Um, what is your perception of being that, basically almost one of the only clean vocalists in an extreme metal band on most packages? Um, I kind of, you know, I know, I never really think of it in, in terms of that. I, I more so just think of my team and our band. And uh, it's arrogant, but I just always kind of think like no one can fuck with us. Like the, the guys I play with are some of the best musicians I, I will ever meet in my life. And I'm like shocked that I get to be a part of that and create with them, you know? So it's like, I have so much confidence in them and what we do together. And I am confident that I hold my own and, you know, <clears throat> do my part. So I'm, I'm damn fucking proud of, of what we do. And so any tour package we're on, I'm, I'm always like, I want the challenges. And I think I could speak for the other guys when I say this, you know, we want those fucking challenges. We've, we've done tours with fit for an autopsy. We've done tours with thank you scientists. You know, we just toured with dance, Gavin dance, give us any fucking crowd. Like it doesn't matter. I have no fright of whatever kind of fan base or crowd. I don't care if they hate clean vocals. I'm still going to give them a show that they're not going to forget, even if they hate it. You know what I mean? Like they, they will not be able to be indifferent. That's the one, that's the only thing I'm there to do. And I, so yeah. you, you, you step onto that stage and, and your goal is to perform, but also win over the crowd. Oh yeah. Win the crowd, you know, for us, but also just to like, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Like we're, we're very much artists and I feel like people who define themselves as artists would frown upon this, but I don't. We're fucking entertainers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's the name. It's rock and roll, baby. Mm -hmm. we're, we're there to get asses shaken and people laugh 
and having a good time. You know what I mean? Or fucking getting aggression out, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So like, yeah, I, I want to connect with people like that. It's a win for us because we want to obviously get to the top of the fucking world and, and get bigger shows and bigger tours and everything like that and play bigger venues. Um, but it's also, it's about every single show. And it's about every single fucking person in the room. It's about like, did you have a good time at that show? Did you fucking let go of your stress for a little bit? Did you feel comfortable enough to be a fucking freak in public? Because there's nothing that feels better in the world than doing that, you know? So. I like that. I like that very much. Uh, your, your stage persona is out there. Um, you do not mind pulling a fucking freak in front of a crowd of people you you seem to enjoy it it's it's fun it's it's you're bringing fun to metal along with clean vocals i think that's refreshing it's it's not as serious and as evil as death metal and i like that thank you um yeah it uh, it kind of goes back to what i was saying before but like it goes back to that first show where i just felt free and i didn't feel any fear it's like everybody walks around I don't care who you are. Everyone walks around with fucking anxiety, you know, just going to the goddamn store. You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't it feel so fucking good to just jump on top of a trash can and rip your shirt off and go, (laughs) you know, like, just like act like a fucking lunatic just because you can without fear of someone being like, oh, my God, what's he doing? You know, that's what playing a show is. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Well, you know, to a degree. I'm not trying to hurt anybody, but like. You, you can't you can't pee on stage. We we learned we learned that one, right? I don't know, man. That was some good press. Maybe I don't have to pee. I think they'll go a little differently with me, though. Maybe they'll pull you out on tour in Europe after that. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we'll get a tour with Tool. That's all I had to do is just fucking piss on somebody <laughs> and do cover songs. <laughs> Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, You've been on my radar since 2016. most people ask this question. I'm going to rephrase it and turn it around. Uh, you guys have been championed by Mark Morton. who worked with Machine as well. Um, he really did a lot of great things for Moontooth. If you could return the favor in the universe of music, uh, what band would you do that to? What young band do you think needs more attention? And if you could use your power the way that Mark Morton has for you guys, what band would that be? God, um... <clears throat> I don't feel qualified to name any bands or answer that question specifically because it's this we're in this weird gray area of being an up and coming band. 
but we've been a band December will be 10 years. So mm-hmm. it's like that we kind of laugh at the, like the kind of new band. Brand new like, band. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we are, we're not, you know, <laughs> we're new to any kind of like success. Well, not really, but anyways. Um, but I, I would say just kind of like any bands that like machine and Mark, like took a gamble on us because, you know, they saw that we were doing something different. So I would love to be able to do that for, you know, years on from now when I'm, you know, most of my days are just being naked and rolling around in beds of money. Uh, <laughs> occasionally I want to do something else. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's just any, any band, if somebody whose heart's in the right place, that they're doing it for the right reasons, they're not doing it to fucking get big. Or I, mean, I just made the joke about all that money, but like, it's important that the bands that are doing it because they have to do it, get the attention and the help that they need. You know, not a band that's being like, all right, we look and sound like everybody else. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to get popular. We're writing, you know, I want the fucking freaks, the weirdos, because those are the game changers. You know what I mean? In any genre, you know, like I think who, who could have like bet on Billie Eilish taking off, you know what I mean? But like, look at that, you know, it's the most fucking successful thing on the planet right now, you know, which is cool. Give attention to the weirdos and the people that are changing things and pushing the envelope rather than the people that are doing the same things. Cause, cause otherwise I'm going to go off a fucking rant here, but I'll try to keep it brief. You know, the opposite of that is, is like, you're just going to get, it's just like movies. You're just going to get reboots and you're going to get sequels. You're going to get shitty sequels, shitty remakes, shitty reboots. It's all going to be nostalgia culture. And it's always going to disappoint because the past is the fucking past and we can appreciate it. But the future is the goddamn future and it don't work pulling the past to the future, you know? So that's, that's what pisses me off about like, you know, bands not getting a shot when they're doing something unique. The fact that they are unique being the reason that they're not getting a foot in the door. It's just bullshit. It's the death of art, basically. Nostalgia. So to answer your question after my, let me get down from my soapbox. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I agree completely. Fuck the reboots. Um, stop buying old scripts with that, you know, it's, it's you know, the, the, the laws and the, the ownerships of whoever owned the, the legal rights to it have ex- expired. So they're buying them all up. And then that's when all these reboots are coming. Sucks. Don't like it. You mentioned you did have a solo and you also mentioned that throughout the pandemic, uh, you were writing more music for yourself, which you may release in 40 years. Um, talk to me about a potential one day, John Carbone solo record. Uh, the second one, basically, because you have done an EP in the past. Yeah, I ha- I, sh- I guess I should plug this. Um, so if if anyone goes online now, it's on Bandcamp under the name Sun Cole. Um, when I made it, it was like Sun Abrenach, Abrenach. It was just the letters of my last name rearranged. But I changed it to uh, Sun Cole. And it's just like a it's an EP I just recorded on a fucking laptop with no knowledge of recording or engineer. I'm proud of it, but, you know, it's it sounds like a fucking 20-year-old just doing it with socks over the microphones but i did that and um i've been writing songs over the years since and just you know never got off my ass to do it if i was in Moontooth, i would have done a lot more with it but a lot of my attention and uh you know the shit that i needed to get out into the world just funneled into Moontooth. so i have these other songs that are right but yeah i'll, I'll get them out there soon because it's just it's stupid to not release the stuff but it's uh it's more much more just like indie rock a little bluesish kind of straightforward shit you know i i write songs on guitar and piano but i'm not like a guitar and piano player you know i am a drummer um 
So the drums will be dope, but everything else will be kind of it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I like that. I'm excited for that, John. <laughs> uh, you do have something very cool coming up, something that I love, obviously. I love making collabs, specifically beer collabs. I've released at least, I think, 40 of them in the past year uh, with the podcast, with Cryptopsy. I, I just love beer collabs. You guys have the Photo Trough IPA coming out, Thin Man Brewery. It's for your release show, basically, in your, in your hometown at uh, Amityville. Tell me about this beer, how it came to life, um, and what people can expect. What can you expect from this? Um, well, I forget who the contact was that knew a uh, thin man. I feel like I'm always the last one to like Nick and Ray and Vin are all kind of guys with the pulse and the, the friends and the connections and whatnot. And I'm always kind of just like, yeah, cool. That sounds great. <laughs> um, but we had done one, uh, beer before Oh, cool. with, um, barrier brewing company. Um, but it was just, it, it never made it to can. Uh, we just did it for like a record release party. And uh, so, yeah, this this one came around and, and we were like, hell yeah, you know, we're always kind of definitely down. I mean, we're all drinkers, you know, so um, and Ray, especially, you know, uh, he's he's the kind of connoisseur of the band. Like he's a big bourbon guy, um, but he also like knows his shit with craft beers and whatnot. And um, so, yeah, this is this is really cool to do this. And uh, like I said, I was able to taste it. Um, we, we toured out to California to play Swan Fest with Dance Gavin Dance. And uh, so we had a couple cans there. Our manager uh, had got some. So, but we'll find out what it tastes like from a keg in a couple of days. But I'm, I'm excited for that. I think it's, uh, it was, I don't even have a great way to describe it. And again, it was like a month and a half ago. And I've fried my brain since then. But there's, there's been many beers since then. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have a funny story about that venue, Amityville. Obviously, when you play there, you have to go see the house. And, I, and, I, and I'm not sure if I've said this story on the podcast, but I will. If you have a moment, I'm going to tell the story. So, so me and Ollie, the basis of Cryptopsy, we went and we went to visit the house. We find the house and we're like, is this the house? It doesn't look anything like... The movie, it, I, I didn't do much research at the time. I don't think we had phone data at that point. It was a few years back. And this kid shows up on a bicycle. And he's basically like local community security for the area. And he's like, this is the house. Take your pictures. Do not go on the grass and leave. But he was like 15 years old. And it blew our minds that we were laughing so much that they had a 15-year-old security guard policing the Amityville House of Horrors. That's my Amityville story for you. Well, I mean, that's Long Island, man. You got a lot of neighborhood watch bullshit going on. It's, uh, yeah, it's a love-hate thing on the island, but there's a lot of like you know, my own type of bullshit. I've never actually been to the house. I think it's just one of those things where like, uh, you know, I don't know, you get jaded a little bit, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're 45 minutes out of New York city. And even that we get jaded with a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, from what I heard, they changed the windows. It looks so they're like the completely eyes different. Yeah. Gone. But <laughs> it's, it's cool. I mean, it's not cool that no. anyone died. But, no, 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 know, no. It's a cool part of history, you know? fascinating it's we had to go it was you know when you come from montreal and you're in the the city it's the one thing we know about it sadly uh one last question classic vox and hop wrap-up question uh you mentioned that it did happen to you uh, more frequently when you drank ipas so hopefully after your show 
at Amityville, uh, you have a solution for this. Uh, what is your IPA hangover cure? Um, I don't know if I'd call it a cure, but I think I just kind of like lean into the hangovers. I just eat if luckily if I if I don't have shit to do, I just get some garbage to eat and I just eat so fucking much. I just veg out, watch bullshit on Netflix or something, and then just like sleep it off. I just uh, I just lean in and I'm, I go full piece of shit the next day. Just <laughs> be totally unproductive. And remember to drink occasionally water. <laughs> Wise words. John, thank you so, so much. Taking the time, hanging out with me, talking about life, music, craft beer. Everyone, go listen to the new Moon Tooth Photo Trophy. It's a killer album. You will not regret it. It's completely unique, and uh, it's probably one of the. It's going to hit a lot of top tens, John. I think, and I hope you're ready for that. Cheers to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, was this ever a killer conversation. I had so much fun connecting with John. I'm such a huge fan of what he's accomplished with Moontooth. What an interesting vocal approach. No one else is doing this. I think it's so refreshing. I can't wait to see where Moontooth goes on this album cycle. It's a killer album. You should absolutely check it out if you hadn't. Trust me, I think you're going to love it. Massive cheers to John. Can't wait to hang out again. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcasts mailing list. You can get it on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a month that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You'll get to see which episodes I've released recently. You'll get to see which episodes I have coming up. You'll get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently. You'll get to see any information about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. And trust me, I always have a bunch of things going on behind the scenes. You also get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. The most extreme, fresh, new music that is dropping every week. Jerry listens to it all somehow and he puts it on the playlist for you to enjoy. It's available on both Apple Music and Spotify. The Brutal Awakenings playlist is what you want to be listening to. Trust me, there's just so much going on in the world of the Vox and Hospital podcast. I hate for you to miss a single thing, so sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hospital podcast is brought to you by Sound, Talent, Media, and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer rest of the week. I have one more episode coming up this Friday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.